With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast. Bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we're talking the Utes over the Cougars. Looking forward to Northern Illinois. And we talk with the famous Kurt Crathorpe from Salt Lake Tribune. I'm Cameron, and we got Scott. What's up? And we don't have Ryan on this episode. He's out in Florida battling the hurricane. I don't know. We might need to start a GoFundMe account for him to get home because... I have no idea how he's going to get him and his family home right now. Ryan may never make it back onto another <laughs> podcast. He he may be done. We'll see. We'll see how uh, if he gets the best of Dorian or if uh, Dorian's uh, the winds of Dorian blow too strong. We'll see. Thoughts and prayers, Ryan. Thoughts and prayers. So let's go ahead and kick off this episode looking at the Utah BYU game. Utah comes away thirty to twelve. In a very dominating, impressive second half, Zach Moss, 29 carries, 170 yards, uh, and a touchdown for the game. Moss looked phenomenal. After a season-ending injury, for him to come out like that, and I know we make fun of BYU, but their defense is not Idaho State. To do that against a BYU defense does deserve credit. Well, and against a BYU D-line that, you know, I, I wouldn't say they're maybe not as strong as they were a year ago, but uh, um, with the loss of uh, um, of Kafusi, but uh, still a strong group. And, I mean, he, he, he looked on another level. He looked like the, 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 the Heisman type, right? We've talked about it, that he has that potential this year, you know, and he comes right out of the gates. There all this talk about, uh, you know, the hand injury, is he going to play? How many games is he going to miss? To to come right out of the gates looking like he did. You know, even, even in his touches in the first half when the O-line was still kind of getting established and, and kind of finding their groove a little bit, he ran the ball really well. In 29 attempts, 180, 187 yards, 6.4 yards per carry. That's impressive. And and it really is. And the thing that was the thing that is absolutely crazy about this, those last 9 minutes coming off of the uh, the thunderstorm uh, break, BYU knew every ball was going to Zach Moss. There was there was no doubt. We were not going to th- run or excuse me, we were not going to throw the ball whatsoever. They knew that and they couldn't stop it. 9 minutes and they they did not touch the ball offensively. I loved how uh, you know coming out of the out of the break, ESPN's talking about the the motivational tactics, the the speeches that Kalani was giving to to the offense, and especially to Zach Wilson uh, that they they still uh, this game was not over, and they had a chance to come back, and <laughs> he didn't even get back onto the field. That was just that was sweet, sweet, sweet. Uh, justice right there so well, like what you said Scott, Scott Moss was really on a different planet than everyone else on that field you know a what, lot of you mean like a talent gap or something like that all the above I think a lot of credit though does have to go to the offensive line they come in in the season were a very big question mark and I still think there is a question mark with them don't get me wrong I don't think one game satisfies every single worry uh, they still have to get still have to get better still have to gel they will play defenses um, that do have a little bit more talent, a little bit. That aren't G5. Exactly. And so they still do have a, a ways to go. But what you wanted to see in a first game with this offensive line, I think they did it and exceeded it. I'd almost argue differently on that because historically, Utah comes out of the gate slow. The offensive line has come out of the gate slow when we've even had less question marks than this year. I mean... 
Jim Harding, since he's been here, he's proven year after year the offensive line continually gets better and better and better as the season wears on. We've had seasons not too long ago, in just the last few years, where where we've ex- expected the O-line to be pretty good, and out of the gates have really struggled. And it's taken them sometimes two, three, four games to really kind of hit their stride. So for me, going into this game with as many question marks as we had on this O-line, the lack of experience really overall, and these guys maybe not meshing. I mean, we're not even talking about uh, um, Bam Bam Tunican getting onto the field. You know, he he's technically one of these guys who's supposed to be a sure thing. And so he's not even on the field. We have we have all these question marks, and right out of the gates, we we basically dominated that game. That offensive line dominated that game, especially more so in the second half. But uh, to me, it was super impressive, and it gives me a lot of confidence in this offense that uh, if they're performing that well out of the gates, I th- and as we've seen in in in, in uh, past years, Jim Harding's going to get these guys to continue to play at a higher and higher level each week. Well, don't get me wrong; I, I'm not saying that they're gonna that they perform poorly or anything oh, I like know. that. And I know Jim Harding is the X factor when it comes to this offensive line. That was my one big thing I was harping on all off season. Is yes, there's a lot of question marks, but I had a lot of trust in Jim Harding because what he's done in the past. Talked to Nick Ford this offseason, and a lot of other position groups were getting a lot of attention. They took that as a slight, as an offensive line position group. You could kind of tell that in the BYU game, the way that they played, the way they executed. Again, I think they still have steps to go, but I think they're a lot further along than what I was expecting, and I think what a lot of Utah fans were expecting for game one. Yeah, and and that's the encouraging factor um, on this offense, because we know what Tyler Huntley can do. And we'll, we'll jump into Tyler here in just a minute. We know what Zach Moss can do. These tight ends are going to produce. The wide receivers are going to get more of an opportunity as the season goes on. They're going to produce. So really the unit offensively that was the question mark that really our success, I think, hinders on is this O-line. And that's, you know, that's not breaking news. You could say that for every team in the country. But the fact that they played this well out of the gates is is huge for this offense for Andy Ludwig and what and what we're gonna really what we're gonna see moving forward because what we saw at BYU is not necessarily what we're gonna see moving forward. It's it, things are gonna things are gonna differ quite a bit. That was most the most vanilla game plan they could have called, and it worked. And I think that was interesting. And that was on the road, yeah, at, game one. At BYU, at, a rivalry at, game, at, that they had the guts to go in with that kind of mentality. I don't even think Ludwig flipped tell, the page. I, mean, I think he was still on page number one of that playbook. So we talked about the offensive line, and yeah, they did a great job blocking for Moss. I, I, they also did a, a really good job for Huntley. Huntley didn't take a sack at all all game. Uh, kept the pocket uh, pretty clean for the most part. And again, BYU, not their strength to getting to the quarterback. Well, and, uh, So that, that was good, that they didn't have that as a strength. And 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 to me, that's going to be the biggest question mark of the offensive line moving forward is I think these guys are going to be studs running the ball. My, my question is, how, how well are they going to perform protecting Huntley? Because he only had 16 attempts. That's not very many attempts. And out of those 16, 11, 12 of those, he was on the run. He was, the, the pocket was ro- moving. He was, he was rolling out. That makes it a lot easier for an O-line to not give up an, a sack when that's happening. So they really were not put in a position where they, where he was taking a five-step drop and sitting back there waiting for a, a route to develop. There wasn't all that much of that. So we, you are gonna have, you're gonna see that moving forward. So that to me would probably be the biggest question mark: is is can they hold up and and can they equal? In the, in the pass protection, what they're doing in the run game. So talking about Huntley, what you said, Scott, 13 of 16, 106 yards. You know, I think he had a decent game, a clean game, if you want to call it that. No turnovers, no sacks. I, I think you have a senior quarterback, a senior leader in Huntley, who played within himself, didn't force things like the other quarterback that played that night. And really just, he kept drives alive with that, that third down to, to Solomon Enos, beautiful play all around. But Huntley, I think, took that next level where he played within himself and within the system and didn't do anything 
to to hurt the offense. Yeah, I mean he he wasn't uber aggressive, but you know since Andy Ludwig has been brought in here, all he talks about is ball protection, and we know Whittingham. That's what he wants out of an offense is is an offense that protects the ball, does not turn it over, does not give short fields to the, the to the other team. So that to me is where I look at Tyler and that performance. He was not aggressive, but I think he was doing exactly what he was asked to do. That was the game plan, was protect the ball, don't take chances, don't put the team in a difficult position, and just give what the, take what the, what the offense essentially is giving you. And at that point, they weren't giving him anything. They, they were dropping eight guys. They were playing a very deep coverage to not allow anything, anything past them. And at that point, it, if, if he gets too aggressive, he is going to start forcing things and that gets him into trouble. So, you know, looking back, 13 of 16, those three incompletions, two of them hit, hit, uh, Keithy right in the numbers, Simpkins right in the numbers, and the other one was kind of tipped a little, uh, a little flare to, uh, Fotheringham. Realistically, he, he threw the ball phenomenally. And to that point, I think we really saw the effect of Ludwig that he's going to have on this team. Yes, it was vanilla. There, I think everyone knows that, that they're going to have more wrinkles. Uh, Winningham even said on his weekly press conference this week that they want to be a balanced team, have you know, 50-50 with running in the pass. But I think what we saw with Ludwig is an OC that's been calling plays for 30 years, or how many years he has, right? compared to what Utah has had the last two years with an inexperienced OC that's still learning. And a bug in his iPhone. (laughs) With with that iPhone offense. But I really think that's going to help play dividends for this team moving forward is it just seemed like everything flowed very nicely. And it wasn't like, okay, we're just going to pass the ball forever. Oh, we have to give the ball to Moss's hurry and just do some little run play to get him his touch. It really seemed like there was a thought process when you, when you saw that. And then when he figured out what was working with Moss, that's what he did. And it's simple, right? But the last two years, it took a long time for them to, someone who's calling plays to figure out to give Moss the ball. Yeah, I mean, when you've got a guy like Moss and, and you're getting, I mean, 6.4 yards per carry with him, it's ridiculous. You'd you'd be foolish. And twenty nine carries. That's what's so crazy. Yeah. Is you, if is it six you six yards a carry if you have like three or four carries, but when you have almost thirty and that's what you're averaging, that is amazing. Well, and and he didn't break any big ones. It's not like he had a fifty yard run in there that uh, that that skews that. He didn't have any of those. He just was every time he was getting positive yardage six, eight, ten. I mean, he he was he was phenomenal. Now, obviously, the fan base, right? The fan base wants passing. That's what's exciting. That looking, you know, as you watched that game, that was not the most exciting game to watch. But you've you've got to play to your strengths, and you've got to play with what the what the defense is is how they're somewhat playing the game, and and you've got to counter that. And and they never adjusted. They never brought guys up into the box and forced us to throw the ball. So so why why change? There's no reason to. But moving forward, I can guarantee you, USC's not going to let you run the ball down their throats like that. Washington's not going to let you just run the ball for 6.4 yards per carry on average. They're going to put guys in the box. Obviously, they're more talented to begin with, but they're going to put they're going to put guys in the box. To eliminate that, and in most cases, if 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 I'm if I'm a defensive coordinator, who are you going to have beat you, Zach Moss or Tyler Huntley? You want Utah to throw. You you are going to force Tyler Huntley to beat you. So, you fans need to realize, hey, just because we, what we saw against BYU does not mean we're only going to throw the ball thirteen to sixteen times per game and just run, 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 run. Things are going to change. Other teams are going to dictate for us to throw the ball more and to be more aggressive in the passing game. So let's let's all relax a little bit in that regard. They were doing exactly what they needed to do. Um, you know, Ludwig. I thought it was I thought it was great. Like I said, not the most exciting game to watch, but that's what an, an experienced OC does. You can't stop it. 
I'm going to keep doing it until you stop it. And if you never do, I'm going to run nine straight minutes off at the end of the game after eating orange slices and kibbles and bits, whatever they were eating inside the locker room, and just run it down their throats. It is interesting that they had, the teams pretty much had two half times, and it, it seemed like one team wearing blue didn't make any sort of adjustments, what we're talking about. So as we, we kind of take our, our focus now to the defense. Utah defense was phenomenal, as as always, and, and I, I know that's one thing I want to ask Kurt about, because uh, he was at the game, uh, watching it live, kind of get his thoughts on the defense. But Zach Wilson goes 21 of 33. He did have 208 yards, but two picks, both return for touchdowns. He was running for his life almost the whole game. And yes, he, he's he's elusive. That's one of his strengths is running the ball. But Utah was creating havoc, and they weren't doing anything that special on defense. Right? There wasn't a lot of different blitzes they were they were bringing. Pretty much Bradley and I and, and Max Tupai or Mika Tafua on the other end, they played the edges very well. They didn't go after him a, a ton. And so for them to, to, to do that with just their base defense and answer a lot of questions with this linebacking group, Devin Lloyd was amazing. He was a standout. Your breakout player, Scott, he came to play. Francis Bernard, a pick six. In, in you got you got to feel good for that guy. He gets man. the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week. Uh, you know, I talked to him uh, a week before kickoff, and and he he said, you know, he'd probably you know get a little emotional going back into that stadium, and for him to deliver, and and this team to deliver, Blackman playing a new position. I know I'm just rambling at this point, but that defense was outstanding. They were, and now early on, I will. Uh, they were they were pretty rusty, right? Especially tackling in that first half, you know, you could tell you could tell the scheme that Scally hadn't put in place. Right, they were not over pursuing Zach Wilson. They were keeping him in front, and and still, on a number of occasions, he was able to break break free from one to two guys. He had that long was a thirty five yard run or so down uh, down inside the goal line or excuse me, down inside, uh, um, I believe, the, inside the 10-yard line, um, where he broke a number of tackles. And early on, you know, Kyle Whittingham's talked about a lot of the ones did not get a lot of live reps through fall camp. They wanted to keep people healthy. They didn't want to risk injuries. And you could kind of see that early on. Our tackling was not crisp, uh, just, just, just pretty sloppy overall. But that really, as the game wore on, that tightened up. And that continued to get better and better. I thought the defensive line, even though they weren't dominant getting to Zach Wilson, partly because he got rid of the ball pretty quickly, they, they, just, they just do what they always do. I'll tell you what. Let's, let's focus for just a minute on those, those two pick sixes. Bradley and I, great jump. Rushes around the end, kind of a speed rush. Gets past Zach. And then d- doesn't give up, jumps back and dives at his ankles, and that is the reason for the pick six. You know it, that's not really talked about. Francis Bernard gets all all the attention on that, but that doesn't happen without that effort from Bradley and I. And then you fast forward to the second half with that pick by Blackman. I'll tell you what, Tyreek Lewis played a heck of a game, and that play if you got to go if you. If you got it on your TiVo, DVR, if if you got a YouTube, it, go back and look at that play because he's he's playing the underneath route, and he he bait he baited Zach Wilson into that pick. He he stayed with him for a split second, and then he followed he followed the um, the other route, tipped that ball up. Really, he should have been able to catch it himself, but tips it up to Blackman, runs back. Beautiful play for uh, by Tariq Lewis, you know, and that's you know we hear from BYU fans constantly how they beat themselves. It's the mental errors. Ben is is dying up on a hill that it's not a talent gap, right? It's it's mental errors, it's mistakes that seem to just happen, you know, every time they play Utah. But that's the difference. It's you've got guys out there who know what their responsibilities are. They stay within those responsibilities, and then they perform. 
Utah outcoached BYU. They outperformed. They outtalented BYU. That game really was not as close as the score indicated at 30 to 12. Utah did not play lights out. They were they were horrific on special teams. Really rusty on both sides of the ball in that first half. And all they did is just run down BYU's throat in the second half with some missed field goals kicked in there and a missed PAT. They were not overly that impressive. And they dominated a very desperate and a very hungry BYU team. Don't tell me there's not a talent gap. Everyone sees it outside of the the blue hairs. You know, and that all that all led to what? Mr. Rooney, what was that? Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. That's right, Mr. Rooney. Nine times. Nine times. That's okay. We've kind of broke down this game, but let's really talk about this streak. Nine games as dominating. Well, it, it ties the the longest streak in in the rivalry history. And next year, Utah will be at home with a chance to break it. So, nine times, I'm sorry. Yes, have a lot of those games been close? Yeah, they have been. And Utah hasn't played all that well in a good number of them, and, they, and they've, still, they've still won them. And... I'm sorry, this rivalry has, has this rivalry is dying. It's kind of passing BYU that uh, this is their season, this is their Super Bowl, and they still, I mean, they're at home in their Super Bowl and they're not even in the game. What does that tell you? Whittingham, Whittingham has this program on a completely different level than, than, than Sataki can get his guys to at the moment. BYU's in a bad spot. You know, and I don't want to focus too much on BYU, but they're they're in a spot that they're in big trouble. And uh, if 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 they don't if they don't change things quick, they're going to be in a in a world of hurt. And uh, Utah Utah's not slowing down. Every every year, recruiting's getting better, and Utah's getting more and more respect, and they're doing more with it. So, uh, um, you know, that's that's going to affect local recruiting and. Uh, and it's going to really make this gap even bigger than than it really is than it already is. Before we finish off our thoughts um, of the Utah BYU game, we can't end it without talking about special teams. Holy crap! They, that was gag me with a spoon. And that was one thing that we've been talking about. I think every media member in the market has been talking about is is the special teams with how poor it was in spring. We weren't able to see it at all in fall, so a little a lot of question marks. It, the crazy thing is when Strouch hit the 40-yard field goal or 41-yard field goal, I was like, okay, I'm feeling good about this. Yeah. And then he goes right out and misses the PAT. I mean, that was a shame. That was shame. And very little. I was like, oh, it was blocked. That was my first thought. I was like, oh, they blocked the PAT. And then on the replay, I was like, no. Even if they got upon it. it, the guy who got upon it should not be touching the ball because he's so far <laughs> to the side. I mean, it was it was it was a bad kick. Then then he follows it up with a really bad field goal, you know. And it wasn't just it wasn't just uh, really the the field goal kicking. Josh Nurse lets a oh, ball bounce kickoff. bounce inside the five yard line, and then you know we get tackled in, just inside the ten. Fair catch it. Fair, fair catch fair it. And catch get to the twenty five. Britton Covey fields a punt inside inside the ten. And and he just didn't look a hundred percent healthy. He 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 didn't have that explosion to get away from that defender. And again, we're starting inside our our ten yard line again. So just some. Uh, I thought Ben Lennon. I mean, he Ben Lennon had two punts, averaged forty point five yards on the day for two kicks. Not so, bad. You know, not n- nothing uh, astronomical, but that's solid. I mean. He didn't bring any cause for concern. I think he's going to be solid. The 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 snaps look good. Hey, snaps, right? We struggled with those for uh, for part of last year. Those looked good so far, um, you know. And you kind of feel bad for for this Andrew Strach who uh, really didn't get much of an opportunity at UCLA. Transferred here for to to get that opportunity. And after uh, after one well, not even a full game, he's he's lost his job. So this is like this is me on my soapbox with this whole thing. So if you heard Winningham's press conference this week, he talked about how one of the problems is that Andrew's a, a lefty, right? He kicks with his left foot, so the holder is everything is opposite from what they're used to. They had all a fall to get that down, and they couldn't get it down. 
why is Utah's punter the holder? That's the other thing that drives me nuts. Okay. No offense to Ben Lennon. Like, no offense to him because he's a great punter, but why is he holding it? I uh, never understand why Winningham does that. Well, I will say this. If if you got a lefty kicker, everything's backwards. It's perfect to have an Australian as your holder because everything's backwards <laughs> down in Australia. The the toilet flushes the backwards. Everything they do is the a little... seasons are, are uh, different. Everything's a little backwards. So you'd think he would thrive in that position, but... Uh, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I honestly would love to have a quarterback as a holder, you know, get Jason Shelley out there. Now, I will say Whittingham, and I'll have to go back and look at this, Whittingham did say that they switched holders, but I didn't notice who they switched to. Well, he said they have a left holder and a right holder. because they cause, uh, So who's the right Len- holder? Lennon was holding it for both, and it was just getting too hard, like muscle memory, to keep switching it. So they just made him... For the left, and then I didn't see who was holding on the right. Whoever held on the right, good job. <laughs> so we'll see, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. So a true freshman, uh, reading a walk on from from back east, uh, will be doing field goals. Andrew will still be doing kickoffs, and 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 he did perform well. At those, I mean, he was kicking for the most part into the end zone, or at least right to the goal line. Um, he he seems to have a, a good strong leg. But uh, a little erratic on those field goals. I'm in, I'm interested to kind of see how this plays out because if you remember how Matt Gay was not coming out of fall camp was not your starter two years ago. It was uh, that uh, Johnston kid from Brighton. He was Bingham. expected or Bingham, man, one one of those B schools, and uh, he wins the job in fall camp. Comes out, shanks his. I believe he only shanked one. He didn't even shank it. I think it just hit the upright. <laughs> it did. I mean, it was it was a good kick, and uh, and and out he went, and in came uh, Mister Gay, and uh, never relinquished that spot. So hey, maybe just maybe this uh, will have a, a similar result where uh, Redding can come in after not winning the job and just uh, sell, uh, sell it down. I think he is wearing Matt Gay's number. All right, so that'll kind of do it for our overall thoughts um, of the game. We'd love to hear what you have to say about the game. You can always tweet us at Utah Man Podcast. And it does look like we have Kurt Crathorpe on the phone. But before we bring him in, we'll let you know that that interview is brought to you by Farmers Insurance for protecting your home, vehicle, and family. Look to Farmers Insurance. You can call Scott Omer at 801-307-4946. Check him out on Facebook and Twitter at Scott underscore Omer 8. Alrighty, so we have probably the biggest guest we have ever had on the show. The one and only Kurt Crackthorpe from the Salt Lake Tribune. Kurt, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I appreciate you reading the introduction exactly how I wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) We landed the big fish. (laughs) Oh, Kurt, you're a great guy. We really appreciate you taking time out of your your evening with your family. Because I know you spend all day talking sports writing about sports, especially Utah. So I'm sure what you want to do in your evening when you're at home with your family is talk to a bunch of yahoos like us. So really appreciate it. I'm definitely going to have to buy you a cheeseburger sometime for doing it. I'll accept that, but but there's no uh, apologizing necessary because this is the only subject I know anything about. So (laughs) I'm willing to talk about it, believe me. So as we look at this Utah team, especially in, during that BYU game, and obviously you were there, you're, you're covering the team day in and day out. How impressed were you with that defensive performance by Utah against BYU? Yeah, I think the defense actually played a little better than I expected, if that's possible. I, I, I'm uh, a little bit too reliant on uh, history. It's, it's, it's both my strength and my weakness as a writer. In that, and I, I thought back to last year when BYU scored 27 points against Utah. I thought Zach Wilson looked really good, and, and so I was I was expecting BYU to put up 20 plus points in this game. And so, based on that, uh, I, I thought Utah's defense looked a little better than I expected. I know we we have high standards for that group, but uh, I, I just thought they were really impressive. Coming out of the gates, Utah historically has not come out, especially in game ones, all that strong. Obviously, in this game, they played a pretty conservative game plan offensively, um, yet 
you know, still didn't still didn't uh, set the world on fire, but but they're but played well enough to create a, a big enough gap and 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 just show the difference between the the programs talent wise. What are your thoughts? There's a lot of talk right now going on about the the talent gap between BYU and Utah. Is that something that uh, is that as big as everyone's talking it out to be, or at least Ute fans are talking it out to be? I, I think it it is a significant gap, and I, and I base that on the NFL draft. I think that's kind of the one tangible gauge that we have is how many youth get drafted compared to every to the Cougars every year, and, and that's that's undeniable. But the other part of it is that that in the rivalry game or any rivalry game, that, that the talent gap tends to get shrunk. In other words, there's so many other variables that come into play that the talent in and of itself isn't always reflected. And again, with my uh, focus on history, I, I just couldn't get over the, the notion that so many of the past games of this decade have been closed. And, and so that's why I wasn't totally surprised when it was only nine to six and a half time, arguably and statistically, factually, BYU had outplayed Utah to that point. And so I, so the part that really impressed me is just how Utah took control in the second half, starting with that first drive of the third quarter. And then the, the uh, punctuation of the whole thing was the nine minute drive to end the game. And at that point, you're saying, okay, if this, this game lasts another quarter, uh, Utah would have won by two more touchdowns. And so the talent gap did definitely come into play over the course of the game, but, but it, it, it took 60 minutes for that to, to truly be reflected, I thought. And so, Kurt, you talk about you know that nine-minute drive and Utah in that second half really kind of taking over the game. I think a large part of that was, was Zach Moss, right? He was, he was the star of the game, really carried that Utah offense. Uh, the passing game it really was up and down uh, through the game. I think Huntley was 13 of 16, something around those lines. Um, a couple drop passes by the wide receivers and tight ends. But outside of Zach Moss, we'll take him completely out of the equation. Are you concerned uh, what you saw last Thursday with, with this Utah offense? Yeah, I don't know if concerned is, is the right word, but, but definitely I, I expect more from them. I, I do think they have the capability of being a legitimate passing team, especially because of Zach Moss. That's the thing that I keep going back to is that when you have a weapon like that, defenses have to be so preoccupied with him that it just seems logical to me that there's got to be some openings downfield. And I think the Utes have to take advantage of that. And and to me, they, they've got to mix in a, a few more passes on first and 10. I think that's down when normally you would expect Utah to run the ball. So in my mind, therefore, it becomes easier to pass. And so, there's a theory, you know, we don't know exactly what's going on in the, in the minds of the offensive staff. Maybe they were being ultra conservative in this game. Maybe, maybe they're just totally saving everything for USC and the Pac 12 opener and, and all the potential wrinkles will come out at that point and beyond. But, but I, I do think they have to mix it up. I, it's kind of a, a funny, famous story now about how I sent this tweet after the first quarter that it was apparent <laughs> to me that Utah's offensive line wasn't good enough that they could just line up and run the ball. And of course, when they uh, did run the ball for about 200 yards in the second half, people were spent the entire Labor Day weekend reminding me of, of that. Uh, <laughs> it happens to all of us. Tweet that didn't age well. Happen, yeah. Happens to all but, of us. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just I do think they've got to mix in some first down passing, and I I just think you can be really effective because you run 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 with Moss and and defenses creep up to try to stop him. I I just think it has to make life easier for the wide receiver. So whether that happens this week against Northern Illinois or, or again whether Andy Luck would save it for USC, I I do think that has to be part of the equation at some point. So the offensive defense, you know, obviously there's still some concerns offensively. Defense, we know what we have in, in a Kyle Whittingham program. Um, but this year, we special teams, at least in game one, did not look all, all that impressive. Uh, struggles really in all phases from kick returns to uh, PATs, field goals, um, where 
special teams really has been one of their biggest strengths over over these over this last decade. Is that how big of a concern should that be for Ute fans when every, all the attention's on Utah? There's a national recognition of of winning the Pac-12, potentially getting to uh, even making the playoff. How how big is it that our kicking game is so questionable? Yeah, I think it has to be a concern at this point because history shows you look at 08 in particular when the Utes were undefeated. Uh, Louis Thorpe won about three games that year with his kicking, and, and so it's just inevitable that some games this year are going to come down to making a key field goal. Maybe maybe it's not literally the last second, but it's going to be some key points in the game where you, you need those three points. And so, yeah, we, I mean, we talked kind of the way I've been framing it since March is that the biggest complaint about Utah's offense over the last 10 years has been settling for too many field goals. But what happens if they start missing those field goals? And you actually saw that happen against BYU when they got down inside the 10-yard line and, and couldn't convert the little field goal. And and so, yeah, it'll be interesting. Jaden Redding will, will be doing the field goal kicking. Uh, the, the irony of Andrew Strau's game and, and losing his job as the field goal and extra point guy is that he was probably the best performer on special teams in terms of just the kicking off part of it. He either put the ball in the end zone or, or put it like right at the goal line and coverage team was able to get down there and stop him around the 20 yard line. So, so looking at the snapshot of that phase of his job, he, he, he was outstanding, but, but again, to, to miss an extra point, I'm, I'm just trying to calculate it. I, w- I went back and I think the last extra point Utah missed was, Andy Phillips against Colorado in his sophomore year of 2014. So Phillips for the next two years and Matt Gay for the next two years made every extra point. So you you do totally take that for granted. So when that didn't happen after Francis Bernard's touchdown at BYU, it was pretty shocking. Uh, and it, that literally made me pay attention to the extra points the rest of the night. And as it happened, Redding picks the last two and and earn that part of the job. But it'll be interesting to watch going forward. But yeah, uh, we even kind of ran out of things to talk about with the Utes, and so we kept circling back to offensive line and kicking. And I think offensive line pretty much answered <laughs> the questions about itself on well, Thursday, but, but definitely didn't. Definitely what we saw in spring, right, was the offensive line and, and the kickers. And then we didn't see anything in the fall, and they got two new kickers. And so, yeah, I mean, it made sense. That's kind of what we were talking about. And then in game one, those both of those, for different reasons, kind of stood out to people. Uh, so we're talking yeah, to, exactly. So we're talking to Kurt Crackthorpe from the Salt Lake Tribune. Now, Kurt, I saw you put out a, a tweet the other day. Um, I'm assuming you're going to be running with the story. So if I don't want you to give up anything that you can't, to, you know, keep keep your story, uh, the integrity of it. Uh, but what do you think the impact is going to be on this Utah team, whether um, the players, the coaches, the fans, with an 11 o'clock kickoff this Saturday? Yeah, and, and yeah, it's certainly something we can talk about. Cause I, it, it really is interesting. I, I Just by sending out a tweet, I got like 75 responses from youth fans and it was absolutely amazing that that's almost exactly divided about people that are kind of embracing this idea and and fans that, that's only last night games. And, but what's in, the other further interesting part is that, that every group has different reasons for liking or disliking it. A lot of the people that don't like the morning games, for example, uh, bring up the fact that they're watching the kids play football or soccer and kind of discuss the whole family dynamic that way. But in terms of the team, I, I, I go back to the idea of, Team practiced for two weeks of August at nine o'clock in the morning. So it seems to me that that they'll they'll adjust probably better than the fans will in a lot of cases. Kurt, uh, you you put out a story this week about the uh, enhanced enhanced game day experience that's going to be taking place at Rice Eccles Stadium. A uh, great article with uh, with uh, some new ideas that uh, the the new AD and his team have have brought in. Um, and some changes that they're going to be doing to, to try and create a, a an even better atmosphere at, at Rice Eccles Stadium and 
and with a desire to have that be the best place to watch a, a Utah football game versus television, which is becoming tougher and tougher in today's world. So t- talk a little bit about uh, you know what Utah is going to be doing and, and how uh, the potential impact that, that has on, on season ticket holders and anybody that's going to be attending these games. Yeah, I just, I'll start with kind of the overarching sense of it. And I, I give Utah Athletics a lot of credit because all they have to do now is hold up a, a sign on uh, the south saying when kickoff is and open the gates and, and people will come. It's true. It's, it's true. They, they don't. They don't. They really don't have to market this, this football product anymore with the fifty-seven consecutive sellouts and a three-thousand-person waiting list for season tickets. So they they could uh, they could just take this summer off if they wanted to in terms of uh, game presentation and marketing things. So to their credit, they know that this isn't going to last forever. Partly because they're going to have five thousand more seats to fill in twenty twenty one. And also just because, like you said in summarizing the story, that it's so easy to, to sit where I'm sitting right now in front of the television and and uh, watch games from 10 a.m. to midnight every Saturday and not not fight the traffic and be uncomfortable with the weather, whether it's too hot or too cold and all of those things. So some of the specific things they're going to do are, are kind of interesting. I, and I, it'll be interesting. It, like I said in the story, it, it's it's kind of the most difficult test case you could have to start out with of, of trying to get people in the seats earlier and get them revved up when when it's the first eleven o'clock game that most fans have experienced. I actually looked it up and and I, I remember going to this game in 1983 when Utah played Wyoming at 10:30 in the morning. It was a special PBS game and. Uh, and the youth actually scored something like 48 points in the first half. So I'm going to write another story this year, this week, saying that the, the youth, current U team can't use the early start as, as an excuse because uh, the 83 youths scored 69 points against Wyoming and starting at 10:30 in the morning. But I, I do think it's an adjustment for fans. And again, going back to the idea of uh, my little unscientific survey, a lot of the fans who are against the morning start point to the fact that the, the night atmosphere at Rice Cycles is so electric. And and it is a fact that, that, that the Utes have a better winning percentage in in night games in the Pac-12 era at home. And so, again, circling back, that's what the, the athletic administration is trying to do is, is to try to generate more of that revved up atmosphere, whether it's in the morning or, or afternoon, and they're, they're going to try to get people in the seats earlier, which again is going to be difficult at 11. They're going to have the cannon blast 45 minutes before kickoff and try to alert people in the tailgating that it's time to think about coming into the stadium. And So that'll be interesting. And then I'm curious what how this is exactly going to work. There's supposedly some new ritual they're going to do after a first down by the offense. and have people stand and cheer and point or something, and we'll see how that plays out. So again, it's the uh, the pressure's on the youth offense to get some first downs early in the game, and we'll we'll find out how this works. So this Saturday, Utah takes on uh, Northern Illinois. What what you're saying, Kurt? It's at eleven o'clock kickoff. I know Scott and I. What well, we're probably going to get up around seven. Do you think, Scott? For tailgating, <laughs> for tailgating, something <laughs> like that. Kurt, you're probably going to get up around five to get up there to start covering the game. Uh, but what do you kind of expect um, out of this game on Saturday? And do you have a prediction on, on how you think Utah will perform um, against Northern Illinois? Yeah, I, I just hope vividly remember the game back at NIU last uh, September, basically 52 weeks ago. And the, the, the one funny story I always tell is there, there were 16,000 people at the game, and, and the stadium only holds like, 24,000. It was literally the smallest stadium the Utes had played in in something like 50 years. My nephew went to this nearby college called Wheaton. It's about 20 minutes from NIU and, 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 so, and it was a Division three school. So when he and his friends wanted to go to a big-time game, they would go to Northern Illinois. So that was my uh, way of 
try to illustrate to people that, that everything in life is relative. So what seemed like a small potatoes environment for Utah was, was actually a big deal to some people. But anyway, that, that I, I just remember feeling how tense it was when it was, the youth were ahead 10 to 6, and they had a chance to run out the clock on offense and couldn't do it. Had to punt back to NIU with about, again, two minutes left. And, and you're thinking, okay, is it possible Utah's going to lose this game? And lo and behold, Chase Hansen, I think it was on first down, intercepted the pass and restarted 40 yards for the clinching touchdown. But so again, I, uh, my frame of reference is always what's happened in recent history. And and so based on that, I, 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 I don't think that people should be saying, okay, the next two weeks are going to be totally easy. Because I think what's happening is people are saying, okay, Northern Illinois is just like Idaho State. And that's, not, that's just not true. Northern Illinois is more like BYU than they're like Idaho State. Now, having said all that, I think that you did learn something last year about you have to take a group of five teams seriously. And, and Kyle Whittingham has just been so adamant uh, this week about being tired of talking about the BYU game and, and totally shifting the focus to NIU. But, so I think he's very – and the fact that, again, the youth had that experience of, of what happens when you don't take a team seriously enough last year. But to me, it all adds up to it, it should be what we thought would happen last year, which was a, a comfortable Utah victory. So I'm, I'm looking at something like uh, 35 to 14 this week. So you can always read uh, Kirk Trackthorpe um, at the Salt Lake Tribune. Kirk, before we let you go, I, I on a personal level, just thanks again uh, for for joining us um, tonight. You and I have gotten to know each other a little bit um, in, in practices and games and whatnot, and you're you're always there to, to lend a, a helping hand uh, when I've had questions along the way, trying to figure out what I'm kind of doing. Uh, so just always appreciate your your guidance and your, your advice. Uh, you're a good guy. Uh, where but where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, my handle is at Trib Hurt. So I, I I I distinctly remember when I took over the Ute beat in July of 2018 and just sent it out there that I was going to be covering Utah. People just responded great. I I joked about getting some negative feedback this past weekend, but it was it was mostly striking to me because of the fact that I've been treated so well by Ute fans on Twitter over the last 15 months. So I've, I've really enjoyed the, the interaction and it, it's just been a great experience being, being around you, you guys covering the team. And, and uh, I just look forward to a really memorable 2019 season. Awesome. Kirk. Hey, thanks so much, buddy. Glad to do it. Man, it's always great to have people that cover the, the Utes day every single day and having Kirk Crackthorpe um, jump on with us. Uh, great interview. I really liked his thought about on the offensive side throwing it on first down more uh, to kind of keep the defensive guessing. I thought it was a really good, you know, thought that I I've never even considered or thought about with this offense. But I really want to dive into the column he wrote about the fan experience coming up this season. And one thing he mentioned doing something with with the first down. I I worry when things are forced, sort of like the the Utah chant before the game. I'm not what are a big you talking fan. about? Those always just those always turned out so well. It always seems like the atmosphere traditions are better when it's it's at a grassroots level and it just comes about. I don't like forced things at games. All right, you fans, let's all clap in rhythmically now. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why those fourth quarter drums had to go away. Well, there's a, and there's still a number of things that should have gone away. The, the they've they've kind of forced the UTAH as they go around the stadium, which is cool, but the way they do it, it just has not worked. Uh, the drums, I'll tell you what, I'm I'm a drum believer. The big thunder drum should still be here. You you fans who just mocked it endlessly, you 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 ruined it. I was one of them. 
Now, I will say, it needed some tweaking, but that could have been a cool tradition. Now it's gone, and we're left with, like, uh, watching Whittingham yell at the players in the locker room as we start the fourth quarter. But I will say this, you know, I think I think it would be, I think it's fair we, we give Mike Runge a moment of silence. Okay. And we're back. And, uh, you know, he, Rungi's done well for a number of years, but, uh, you know, I think uh, as the article alludes, they want to bring a little bit more energy. This Tim Hughes, I think, is definitely going to bring that. But to your point, Cam, I think you can't uh, you can't go the way of the basketball um, in-house announcer. You know, I don't want to hear, you know, it's a first down from, uh, what's the equivalent of the Michael Jordan takeoff line? From the Barry Sanders, I don't even know. I got nothing. But we don't need any of that nonsense. Just, just, just. Sure, bring some energy. I hope. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna hold off judgment. I think, uh, I think it, uh, this could work out. But I'm interested to see how this first down cheers gonna go. It'll be interesting. Um, if you haven't read the article, go check it out. It's on uh, sltrib.com. Uh, one thing I, I, I do like, I'm not all negative over here, uh, I guess we're going to have microphones around the band. They did that a couple games last year. Yeah, that I helped. Like it. That helped. I like it, especially for the people in the north end zone. The best, the best, you know, the best area. So it, it will be interesting. And, and really, you can start to see uh, Mark Harlan really put his fingerprints all over the athletic department. Um, seems like there's there's changes every so often, and well, so we'll and, see. And you know, some of these changes may strike out. And you know, you fans don't get on Twitter and freaking just lambast the AD over these. They're trying stuff. Not everything's gonna stick. Some of them may turn out to be pretty cool, and 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 we may start doing them, and it'd be awesome. Add to the environments, and some may flame out and be awful. But at least they're trying to do some things. And as a fan base, you know, everybody's got to show up. Now, I don't know if – I don't think they've done a very good job marketing that this is going to be a red out. So if you're going to the game Saturday at 11 a.m., wear red because it's a red out. And we will mock you endlessly if you don't wear red. Guarantee you Ryan will be one of the fans in white. He'll be white or black. Or gray. Oh, no. Nobody's allowed it. That's what gray. they need to do as a gray no, out. Actually, I've, I've got confirmation security is not allowing anybody into the building that's wearing gray. So, um, so we're good on that front, but yeah, some of these, some of these may, may strike out and not be all that effective and we may laugh at, but I, but I like what, uh, what Harlan and, and the staff is doing here. They're not resting on their laurels. Utah is one of the best and most exciting places to watch a college football game, 57 straight sellouts. And, and they're, they're trying to make it even better. Obviously this is partly in preparation for, you know, a couple years down the road when, capacity is a little bit greater that south end zone's filled in but i think this will be good let's 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 get some new traditions started uh, there's just too many weird drunk unrhythmic clappers out there amongst the fan base i think you're going to make some of these difficult but we'll do it we'll try it we'll see what see what happens with mr tim hughes leading the leading the the energy from the press box all right, as we go into the Northern Illinois game, wants to know that we're brought to you by Doubletree Suites by Hilton in Salt Lake City. They're located at 110 West, 600 South. Give them a call at 801-359-7800, or you can always check them out at Hilton.com. So Utah hosts the Huskies of Northern Illinois. Kurt talked about it already, but last year's game, 17-6, an ugly game. And I really think Northern Illinois wants it to be an ugly game. Their offense is not that good. Uh, they're one of one of the worst offenses um, a year ago. Yes, they beat up on the Little Sisters of the Poor in Illinois State, but a lot of that was because of their defense because their defense is really good. A really outstanding defense. They do bring a quarterback over. From Cal. Ross Browers, who played at Cal, who played out a bad offense at Cal, and he's had a bad offensive again. Yeah, so we we good. We're good here. I mean, Ross Bowers was awful at Cal, and now he transfers to, to Northern Illinois, where he's got even less talent around him. I think we're going to be okay. I mean, he was all right last game, 20 of 33, 
299 yards, um, you know, and, uh, and, and two TDs, one pick. So good numbers, nothing great, um, against their opponent, but, uh, this is not the Northern Illinois team that we faced last year. No, and 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 one of the biggest reasons is Sutton Smith. He led the NCAA in sacks. He's no longer there, and I bet Winningham and especially Andy Ludwig and Harding are glad he's not there. They don't have to account for him, but they're still good defensively, and that's where they're going to hang their hat up. So I think they want it to be an ugly game like it was last year. The flip side of that, is Utah going to allow it to be ugly like they did last year, or can Utah rise above that and play the way that they're supposed to play? Yeah, and I mean, and Kurt mentioned this. This is not an Idaho State team, right? These guys are better. They are a higher level. They're a better football team than what you're going to see in week three at Rice-Eccles. But this is, again, Utah's uh, came out today. Utah's uh, number uh, um, 13 in the polls. Leapfrogged uh, Washington, so that's uh, so. Eat it, eat it, Mister Peterson. We're on top now. Get used to it. Yeah, Utah's got to go out and they got to dominate. This has got to be a. You cannot have a, a performance like you did last year at Northern Illinois, and you win because of a late pick six. But can a Winningham team do that? Yeah, of course, and I know of this was this was a, a a topic we saw on Twitter today. Utah's favored what by by twenty two and a half. Yeah. Utah has to get above that because they need style points. Well, sure, they need style points. But can a Kyle Winningham team do that? Because Kyle doesn't care about that stuff. He just wants the win. This 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 defense, if if Utah is focused and ready to play, I don't see I don't see Northern Illinois making double digits in points. And you're telling me with with what we have offensively, and again, you're not going to see double reverses. You're not going to see them really opening up the playbook and going deep into it. They're still going to be a very a very vanilla team. They're going to see what obviously the weaknesses of Northern Illinois, and they're going to exploit those, and and that's going to be the game plan. But outside of that, you're you're still going to see a lot through the running game, and you're going to probably see a little bit more uh, in the passing game. But this is not we're not going to be an air raid by any means. So, um, with that said, Utah should run away with this by halftime. I I, I honestly mean that, and I'm not trying to be a U Homer. I'm trying to be realistic in this, but this is a team where the game should be over at halftime. With as much talent as Utah has offensively and defensively, it should not be a game. To that point is that's what a lot of people say a lot of times with these games. Oh, for sure. And it seems that they're closer than what they need to be. Well, I, I don't think it's going to be, like I'm not trying to come here and say it'll be a field goal difference in the game, but I don't know if I'm ready to say it's going to be done by halftime and I don't know if they covered the spread. For, for, for starters, we're not traveling across the country. We're not playing in front of a high school fan base and stadium like we did last year. It's at home. Utah knows what's what's on the table. They know what's in front of them and what's at stake. And could you, right, in years past, we've had some uh, some hangovers after the BYU game. Could we have uh, some of that? Sure. But even with that, this game should be should be we should be light years ahead of them, and I I, I just don't anticipate it being being really all that close. You know, that's a good point you bring up is the hangover from the BYU game. I don't expect that because the guys didn't really seem like they were they were celebrating that much again that win against BYU. Well, it's because I mean, yeah, BYU so poo poo. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they they don't get me wrong. They they sang the fights on the locker room. They went crazy about that. But in their press conference interviews, they just seemed like they it was just another game for them, just another win for them. And well, at this and, point, it and is. I know it's always an <laughs> very good point. But I know it's always an emotional game with the rivalry game. But I I wonder with this nine game winning streak, if that emotion's kind of a little tempered off a little bit. I think so. I th- I think you'll see that. Plus, you you've got a few extra days that these guys have had off since the football game. You know, they're gonna have. Uh, it's gonna be over a week since they played last. A lot of these guys. Let's be honest. Every wide receiver on this team is gonna be hungry to go out and play. Why? Because they didn't do a whole lot in game number one. They're gonna want their chances. They're gonna want their opportunities, and they want to start putting up stats. So those guys are gonna come play. And you got a lot of guys. You got Devin Brunfield. You got uh, Devontae Henry Cole. Those guys want carries. They want to show 
Kyle Winningham, they want to show Andy Ludwig what they can do. You've got, you know, and and hopefully, I, you know, hopefully Moss can can break a few big ones early on, um, get some yardage in, and then hit the sideline and let some of these young guys come in that are hungry to play. They don't care that they're playing Northern Illinois; they just want to put up stats. So you're gonna get you're gonna get guys that want to come out and perform and and play at a high level and 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 earn some reps for later on in the season. That's where I think. Uh, um, Utah pulls away, and uh, and really, I don't see this one being all that close. All right, so we're going to keep the tradition alive, what we do during football season on the show. Uh, we pick three Pac-12 games, uh, and we give you who we think will win. And joining us on the phone, all the way from Hurricane Darian, Dorian, Dorian. whatever whatever <laughs> its name is, Ryan from the Utah Man Podcast. Ryan, can you hear us? It's a little windy down here, but I'm glad you invited me to join on. Straight from the eye <laughs> of the storm. <laughs> All I have to say, Ryan, is good luck trying to fly home tomorrow. So the first no game, <laughs> the first game we're going with is San Diego at UCLA. UCLA is favored right now by a touchdown, uh, seven seven half points. I'll I'll go first this week. I think I'm going to go with the Aztecs. I really don't like what Chip Kelly has right now. I, I think they're a few years away from really building something there. So I'm going to go with San Diego. I'll tell you, so Vegas thinks that UCLA will win by seven. How bad is San Diego State? <laughs> so... I'm. Oh, I don't know, man. I don't think. Uh, I don't think UCLA. They did not look good whatsoever in in that first game the other night. So, oh, tough one. But I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna go with them. You got to go back the pack. I don't hate UCLA, so I'll back the pack. Scott's going with the eight clap. Ryan, who do you got? Aztecs or the Bruins? Yeah, I think I'm gonna go with Scott on this one. I just think. I mean. It, UCLA did not look good in their opener, but they've got to they've got to bounce back and represent the Pac-12 a little bit better. I think they'll do that at home, going with the Bruins. The next game we're looking at is Cal Golden Bears are traveling to Seattle to play the Washington Huskies. The Huskies are favored by thirteen and a half points right now. If you remember last year, Cal upset Washington. I don't know if Cal can do it again. Their offense, eek. I'm. I'll go with the Huskies on that one, Scott. So Pac-12 needs any of these uh, higher-profile teams, Oregon, Washington, and Utah, to win and to keep winning big for the sake of the conference. So, um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go Washington. I don't think. I don't. I. I actually was pretty impressed. I thought they played pretty well. Eason played well. Even all the things we've kind of heard reports that he struggled in fall camp and barely won that job, um, but he did look pretty good. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Washington. Cal still literally has no offense. Um, they got a great defense, and I think that's gonna keep them in a lot of games this year. But uh, I'll go. I'm gonna go Washington. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Washington. I think uh, they're gonna be a little upset about what happened last year, and they're gonna they're gonna take care of it. And then the last game we're looking at for the Pac-12, Stanford traveling down to L.A. to take on the Trojans. It started as a, as a pick'em game. Uh, now it, it swung to, to USC. Uh, you're only favored by one point, one and a half point, depending on where you're looking. You know, USC, man, losing JT Daniels the way they did to the, um, that was for the whole year. I mean, you hate to see that to, to anybody. Um, to any of these these kids playing college ball, and then knowing that Jack Sears left the program, they're starting a true freshman. That's a lot to ask going against Stanford. They are home though. I think I'm gonna go with the trees on this one. Yeah, big game, big game for USC after after the loss of uh, of their quarterback. So I'm I'm interested to see how this young uh, Slovis kid uh, how he shows up against Stanford. I'm not really sure where to go on this because at the moment, um, Costello, Stanford's quarterback, has not been cleared to play. So if he doesn't play, 
I, I probably would lean towards a USC on that, but uh, we need a, we need our trees to the north to do us a good favor here and give USC a conference loss early on in the season. So I'm going to be rooting, and I'm going to be. Uh, I, I I think the trees get this done. Man, I think when uh, I think this would have been a great uh, early season matchup to start out the conference when uh, with two pretty good teams and two decent quarterbacks, and now we don't know what we have. But uh, I think Stanford gets it done at home. I think USC just just a mess, especially with a brand new freshman quarterback. So I'll go with Stanford. And our last pick. Delta Airlines versus Hurricane Dorian. <laughs> Ryan, <laughs> your over under is when you make your flight. <laughs> Who you got? I'm I'm gonna go with the under on that. <laughs> I'm gonna say you're gonna spend probably nine to twelve hours on the tarmac eating a whole bag of peanuts. All right, as we close out the show, Northern Illinois is traveling to Salt Lake to play the Utes. Utah's a 22.5-point favorite as we're recording this. That's a lot. That spread is humongous. I don't think Utah gets it. I think they get close. But I think Utah wins 30-10. to 10. Scott? Oh, man. You have little faith in our... In our uh, I mean, we're playing a team that's probably a little under Yuso Pupu. So I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to go on this one 41 41- Two six for the Utes. I think we win big. I think it's a slaughter from the Bermuda Triangle. Ryan, who do you got? I agree. I think the Utes completely dominate this. A little payback from how awful the game was last year. I mean, I know the Utes got the victory, but it was it took a pick six at the end of the towards the end of the game to get that done. But uh, I think uh, Utes win big. I'm going to go forty five to ten. All right, so we all have Utah winning big this week against the Huskies. We'd love to know your your prediction of the scores. You can always hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Man Podcast. I will just say, so Ryan's joining us kind of a little late. Ryan, make sure to wear red. It is a red out for the game on Saturday, assuming you make it back. And well, good um, to know, yes. And, and practice your rhythmic clapping. I have a feeling it's going to come in handy on Saturday. Yes, I saw the article. We're gonna all get uh, cheering one hundred and one lessons. Yep, all all uh, four hundred people that are there at kickoff. <laughs> but they're gonna blow like fourteen cannons before the game starts. So we're all there on time. All right, so that will do it for this episode. Uh, Ryan, good luck with the hurricane coming home. I know Scott and thank I, you, thank you. Scott and I have been hanging out at your house, eating all your food while you've been gone. Uh, but where where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather, Drum the letter M Feather. And Scott, yeah, you can find me um, in Ryan's house, uh, tweeting from Uteman underscore forever. And you can catch me on Twitter and Instagram, Utah Man Podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you listen to a podcast. We are there. And at our home at utahmanpodcast.com. And go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be till I die. Kayai. They so poo poo. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on, Mr. Rooney. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Kind of surprised. Nine times even Ferris's mom can't believe it <laughs>